Welcome to Health Coach Talk. Our goal is to inspire and educate you with in-depth discussions on health coaching, functional medicine, and the latest wellness trends. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sandra Scheinbaum. Welcome, everybody, to Health Coach Talk. It is my absolute pleasure to present to you Dr. Howard Elkin. We have so much in common. We actually connected first on LinkedIn, and I love this doctor's mission. He is trained as a conventional cardiologist. He is an integrative cardiologist, but more importantly, he became a medical advocate. That's what we're going to talk about today. He has an amazing story, an amazing book which if you're on YouTube, you can see it's called From Both Sides of the Table. He's going to talk about his experience being both a doctor and a patient. And I love to get started with this conversation. So welcome, Dr. Howard. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Like, I'm just happy and proud to be here. Thank you, Sandy, for inviting me. Thank you. So you were trained back in the day as a cardiologist, and were doing procedures. And then you had some very major health scares. And as reading about this in your book, I was just struck by your perseverance, by your just not giving up. So I'd love for you to share your journey, what that was like for you, and how you then became a medical advocate. Great. Well, thank you so much. So basically, I was traditionally trained, but I always, by the time the 90s came, I got more interested in, I guess they didn't call it integrative cardiology or functional medicine back then, but I, I was always very inquisitive and I, I always wanted to learn and do more for patients. And I actually wanted to write a book, really part of this century, and I came to an impasse. It's like, okay, something's missing here. And what was missing, I literally had to become a patient. I had to be, to see the plight of an individual patient. So what happened I had, it's all in my book, but I had my first hospitalization was for a, a stuttering heart attack. And I don't have any family history. My cholesterol is great. Never smoked, never been overweight. I've always worked out. My blood pressure is perfect. But you know what? This can happen to anyone. No one is immune. So I learned that quickly. And then I was hospitalized. And here's when I knew that everything was up. So when I was being discharged, two days later, the cardiologist who did the procedure Dr. Elkin, I don't know what to tell you. You're on your own when it comes to rehab because I never will be in the shape that you are in now. And this is several years ago. I said, okay, I'm up for the challenge. But he said, something that I will never forget as long as I live. But you know what? You have a new stent in there. You're going to do just fine. You have a stent and you're going to be just great. So after he left, I said to myself, this is pretty absurd. If I'm so great and I have a new stent, first of all, how did I cater to begin with? And more importantly, how can I prevent a recurrence? And that was my mission. And like 15 minutes later, my daughter came with a writing tablet. She picked me up, bring me home. She said, Dad, it's time to write your book. So that was the first hospitalization. And I did have a stent. It was a very mild heart attack. And fortunately, I'd recovered very quickly from that. But what happened later, 19 months later, I had I was re-hospitalized for a different problem. On my back, I had lumbar severe spinal stenosis, which I knew from 1996. And so I, I would have remissions and relapses. Most of my relapses would last like two months. Okay, but then I would have a remission for a long time. So I did really well and I was competing in bodybuilding and I was, and my back went out one day and it didn't get better. I ended up in the hospital. 
the same hospital, Cedar sinai Hospital. And I ended up having, I had critical stenosis. I couldn't walk. And I had the surgery, but the surgery was not just less than successful. It was actually damaging. I had permanent nerve damage to my right foot and ankle. I could not put one foot in front of the other. And I had to learn how to rewalk. And then I really learned a lot during that hospitalization because I forgot how to meditate. I forgot how to breathe. Uh, all the skills that I teach others no longer worked for me. I was in so much pain and they treated me not like I was a real doctor, just like a regular patient. Believe me, I did not get any special privileges, but I was badly broken up to that and have remained so really in certain levels because I ended up having a repeat back surgery a year ago and I'm done with back surgery. But the truth of the matter is like you, Sandy, I'm what we call unstoppable. I keep on going because it's funny. When I wrote my book, I have a, my speaking coach. I had a first, so the back surgery was in over 15 years ago. Then I had a relapse in 2015, which was really not easy to take. And my marketing, my, my book author, my coach said, this is great for marketing. I said, what do you mean it's great? It's horrible. He said, no, because this is what life is all about. You go through certain hurdles, you get to where you want to go, and then another thing happens. And that's what I had to learn. So I was a patient and I became my own medical advocate because I learned that an aspirin or a beta blocker was not going to be the end all be all in, in saving me. Now, I already had a pretty good diet and I was, what else can I do? But I was stressed to the max back when I had my heart attack, very stressed. And it's all in my book. I have a whole chapter on stress. I have two chapters on stress. One of what my story and also actually what stress can do to us. It depresses our immune system and sets us up for disease. So that's what happened. And I grabbed the bull by the horns and I really had to learn how to slow down, smell the roses and take better care of myself. And I'm still working on that. I tend to be an adrenaline junkie. So I have to really work on this Zen quality. That's why I'm so big on this Vegas nerve thing. But so that's it. I mean, I was hospitalized twice in the span of 19 months and I had to learn how to really grab the bull by the horn and stay in the driver's seat. So that's my mission now. My mission is to inculcate unto the others to help empower others to embrace their ability to be in charge of their health. But you aren't taught that in the medical profession. And most doctors are not good role models. And it's like, do what I say, but not what I do. So I pride myself on being a good role model. I try to be transparent. This is, I've had a lot of things happen in the last 14 months. And I went on YouTube, I think it was in June of this last year. And I said, hey, this is what happened. You know, no matter what I've done, I still have had a few issues. And you, you just keep going. You grab the bull by the horn and you stay in the driver's seat. And that's what I'll do as long as I'm breathing. Well, that is such an inspirational story to not give up, to persevere, to keep going despite inevitable setbacks. And when you discuss stress, that really resonated with me because as a clinical psychologist, I focused on health psychology, biofeedback, relaxation. And that's what I would teach people who often came in with medical issues or with panic, anxiety, or just not slowing down, teaching them to just pause and breathe, heart-centered types of imagery, guided visualization. And you talked about that when you were in such pain. It was your daughter who came in and was helping you with that guided imagery. And I thought, yes, that is exactly often like just telling somebody to meditate. Well, if you are uh, fast moving and prone to anxiety and your head's just going to be flooded with those thoughts, as opposed to actually just tuning into your breath and just merely stopping and slowing it down. So I love that you created 
this patient bill of rights, because that's what we train our health coaches to do. They are helping people to be their own advocate, to feel empowered, and are bringing back that bedside manner, which I think so many physicians have lost. You experienced that yourself when you were having an encounter with that neurosurgeon. What happened to bedside manner, which was so helpful, but the two, the combination of doctors having bedside manner and people becoming advocates. You're so right. And physical exam has gone by the wayside. Yeah. When my partner was being evaluated at UCLA to remove his kidney robotically because of kidney cancer, and I was with a wonderful surgeon. I picked out the surgeon. He's wonderful, very well skilled. And we're talking about the surgery, and then we get ready to leave. And I'm saying, well, aren't you going to examine the patient? Why? Everything I need is here on the, on the screen. It's like people don't listen to heart murmurs anymore. They don't use your stethoscope. And I don't know if it's old school or what, but I like that one-on-one connection with my patient. And of course, I use all the technology that's necessary, but something is lost in the meantime. But I got to tell you a funny story. So I had an EMG done in February of 2022, so two years ago. And so the, the guy in charge of the EMG department at Cedars-Sinai, he just comes in after the fellow does the procedure. I swear to God, he asked me this question. You can't see my figure or not, but I'm, my, my physique, but I'm a bodybuilder, right? He said something that floored me. He, liked, he looked at me, but he did not see me. He said, I have one question for you. I said, yes, are you active? I said, are you freaking kidding me? Do you think anybody my age with muscles like that <laughs> not be active? I was floored. It was beyond being insulted. It was like, this guy did not even see me. He just, he looked at my age. And he had, um, you know, he surmised what it was all about. So believe me, being a doctor doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get special privileges or special attention. And that's why as being your own medical advocate, you have to be tenacious. You have to ask questions. You have to know when to ask for a second opinion. And I teach all my patients this. When I tell patients, well, I'm your second opinion. They look at me like a bit of wordman. Well, who's my first? I said, you are. Because nobody's any better than you. That's been lost over the years. And I don't know about you, Sandy. I'm sure you feel the same thing. It's gotten worse. Yes. Now, there's COVID for sure. It's isolated people. And I see more distress, insomnia, panic attacks, all kinds of things. And now people are rushing to see doctors and they can't get in. Yes. They can't get an appointment with a specialist, which is why I'm in my own solo practice. I'm on staff in a hospital, but... I don't have to go by their rules. So it's so nice. I can give more personal attention, but it's all about patient advocacy. And um, I'm a patient advocate, but then again, so I was branded the medical advocate, but my prayer and my hope now is that everybody that I talk to, whether my patients or followers or readers, they do the same thing. Just like what you, you talk about, you have to take charge or you'll be left by the wayside. Absolutely. And there's so much conflicting information out there too. So people are confused. They don't know which way to turn. So when they are often, they need a guide as well. And unfortunately, there are very few doctors like you who can encourage them to be taking charge of their health, who are helping them to show there's another way. It's not just drugs and medical treatments. And that is exactly why we are training health coaches, which are 
focused on lifestyle change as the new primary care, because you are so right. The physician, the shortage, the number of people who are not entering in terms of they're going to medical school, but they're not going to primary care, that old fashioned relationship that you and I remember, you had a family doctor and he knew you and he knew your family and your history. And when you came in, you just saw that physician now with urgent care, which has a place, but people are feeling adrift. They don't have a doctor that they can turn to for their care that is consistent care. And I'm sure like you, one of the things I pride myself on, Tandy, is that I actually establish relationships with my patients. Who's have a golf day? Who's got a hair day? Yeah. Who went on vacation and when, and someone passed away, I ask about these things, but that's an important part of what I do. It's not just about giving someone a medication or doing a procedure. It's like, what's going on emotionally? I'm very keyed into that because that's the gift that you either have or you don't. But you know, when I read recently that the average doctor spends five minutes in the room with the patient, I can barely say hello because the first thing I'm doing, I want to see what's going on. I don't say, okay, any change since your last visit? Any new medicines? It's just something is, it's definitely, it's missing. And that's why I'm so glad life coaches like you, I do what you do on a medical back, but you're right. I'm rare. I'm a rare bird. So if they don't find a coach like you, what are they going to do? Who's going to help them? People need to be led down the path. And and that's what I try to do. I, I, I really endeavored to get them involved with their own health. I don't need to see any more gunky artery syndromes. In 37 years of practice, I've seen everything there is to see. Now I want to see people taking care of themselves. And I also believe we have an innate ability to heal. Most of us don't know how to tap into that. So you talk a lot in your book about the lifestyle factors, about the importance of nutrition and movement and sleep and stress management. So can you comment on that and how that relates to heart health? Yes. Early on, like in the 90s, when I got involved with holistic health and nutrition and exercise, that something was clearly lacking in the system. And at that time, people were flocking to HMOs and they were getting even less encouragement and and empowerment. Uh, so I learned through my own experience. I've always been into lifestyle, even before I had my uh, mishaps. But so I, and I, I talk about in my book, well, the things that are very most important, I talk about being your own medical advocate. What does it take to be your own medical advocate? The patient bill of rights, the patient responsibilities, who do have responsibilities as patients. And then the natural progression was and then I talk about what's called the five dimensions of wellness, which I coined. And then from there, I said, okay, now we have to break it down into individual pieces. And so my medius chapter, pun intended, is the you are what you eat. And I, in that, that book, I talk about various diets. I'm not usually a diet person, but there is a certain diet for everybody. Uh, it's just an individual diet for everybody. And I, I never believe that there's one diet for all. So I talk about individuality and so forth. So why is this important? Because the more people are involved with their diet and their exercise and knowing what supplements to take and in stress management and sleep hygiene, they're going to live better. They're going to live longer, more than likely, and they'll be happier and more content. Now, I'm going to tell you about the lifestyle. So this is very interesting. So this is Heart Month. February is Heart Month. Yes. I'm doing two YouTube. I did one last week. It'll be up. In, hopefully, the YouTube will be up in, in the next couple of days. Well, actually, the YouTube is, but I'll have a snippet on Instagram. But so it was about heart disease in the 21st century. And how do you know if you have heart disease? How do you test for it? And I use a lot of different tests that most people use. So I want to get as much information as I can about a patient. 
because I don't really care about your numbers. I do, but I don't. What I care about is your risk, your risk for disease. It's more important to me than your cholesterol level. But the second one, what I'm doing next Thursday, the 29th, is going to be on lifestyle. So we're not going to talk about pharmaceuticals. We're not going to talk about, and people may ask me that in the Q&As, but I want to focus on diet, the things I talk about in my book, because I think it's so important because doctors don't talk about this. And that's why we have people like you, thank goodness, that are here to bridge that gap. But even doctors should know something about lifestyle and they don't follow it. I went to Cedar sinai has a very good cardiology conference yearly. It's called current concepts and controversies in cardiology. So I go every year and there were two days of lectures. Now, I, I kid you not, there was one lecture on lifestyle, one lecture by a very good friend of mine, Dr. Carol Watson at UCLA. She and I are very similar in, our, in how we practice. That was it. Everything else is about drugs, more drugs, procedures, and given by a lot of doctors that were way overweight and didn't look like... Yes. They were really, they did not look very healthy to me, but one lecture out of two whole days devoted to lifestyle. Did that tell you anything? So I want people to, and that's why I'm devoting my next YouTube next Thursday to lifestyle, how to relate to diet and to exercise and to stress management. These are things that we all have to work on. And, and the way we practice medicine today and the way you and I think about it is customized. There's not one size. Exactly. So I'm very passionate about this because that's where I can fill in the gaps. A, develop relationships with your patients and B, let encourage them to take an active role in their own health. So important. And the cool thing is that when practitioners start to practice in that way, it's joyful for them because they have therapeutic encounters with their patients that transforms them as well. And I speak to so many doctors who are burned out and are leaving medicine. It's because yeah. they've lost that true connection. It's why they went to medical school. And so that burnout is real and our doctors are suffering. So I really applaud you in your mission for not giving up both personally for your own health. You are a biohacker like me. And we try all the ways to stay right. active to the age in a pro way, as opposed to uh, just giving up and giving into our aches and pains and inspiring health professionals, inspiring health coaches, and most importantly, inspiring patients to be their own medical advocates. Exactly. I'd like to think that I could inspire other doctors, but a lot of doctors aren't really open to it. Yes. You know, a few years ago, <laughs> I volunteered to revamp the menu for the doctor's doctor for the dining lounge. Just so unhealthy. <laughs> so and I was doing a pro bono. I'll just help you devise them. And the doctor's like, we don't want your input. We don't want to know your diet. It's like, boy, I was not welcomed. But that's how it is. So my practice is a microcosm of what's happening in the real world. But I do believe that little by little, if all of us do our part, we'll have a better world to live in. I'm an optimist at art. And yes. I can't cure the whole world, which is one reason why I wrote my book, so that people don't have to see me to appreciate my philosophy that they can adopt as yep. a patient, as their yep. own advocate. It's a vehicle for spreading the word. Well, optimism is strongly tied to longevity. 
and having hope, having gratitude, having humor, uh, as well as having interest. So as we're drawing to a close, I just wanted to comment that it really struck me that your interest in singing and dancing and, and having hobbies, having interests are really so rewarding and healing and can help. And particularly those that are involved with a community, because that's one of the things we stress when we train health coaches, the importance of community and having that social connection with others. It's so I'm so glad you mentioned that because when I came out, and this is back in the early part of the century. So I had four quadrants. I like the word quadrant, right? Four. So it was physical well-being, mental well-being, which is memory, emotional well-being, and spiritual well-being. And yeah. then my daughter, the dad, this is about a year later, you left something out. I said, what do you mean? You left out social well-being. I said, well, that's screw things. I'm not kidding. There's no red quadrants anymore. We changed it to dimensions. But she was uh, love it. We don't live in a bubble. And I think we all learned that during COVID, how detrimental it was to be isolated. Yes. Yeah, like I said, I saw elderly people with panic attacks that they had never had, major mm -hmm. insomnia. So I think we are people who, who need people who are the luckiest people in the world. Yes. <laughs> the song says, and I agree about that. So. And one more thing I'll say, I, I wasn't going to post this, but someone said, you should post it. So I do cold, I talked about them, I do cold showers every day. I Me do too. cold plunges, but I had Me a kiddie pool a while, so I was doing an ice bath in a kiddie pool every single Sunday. And anyway, so this is what ha happens to me and why this is so important to me is that for the first minute, I'm like shivering, like, this is crazy, this is crazy, because fight or flight. But then something magical happens. I just totally give into it. And I start laughing hysterically. If you saw that last post. I on did. It, I saw that. That was not fake. That was just, I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. And it happens every time because like my vagus nerve takes over and I'm happy and I'm laughing and I don't know why, but it's just, it's very special. Yeah. And laughter. So healing. yeah, I get into a cold plunge and I, I hear songs in my head and I imagine dancing and just feel like I tell myself, this is going to feel so good. And so it does. But well, this has been such a joy to be with you in honor of the Heart Centered Conversation for a heart month. Dr. Howard, where can people find you? Okay. Well, I, I have two websites, but the one didn't show up in the questionnaire. So heartwise.com, one word. Okay is my main website for my practice. But for my book, it's beyourownmedicaladvocate.com. Again, beyourownmedicaladvocate.com. In fact, if you look at the book, it is from both sides of the table. Yes. When you can't see it. When doctor becomes patient. But and there's a stripe on the bottom saying, become your own medical advocate. That's really what I want. Yeah, it starts off about me and my story, but I'm only using me as a kind of a springboard to what how it can affect you. It doesn't matter whether it's back surgery or heart attack or cancer or what the problem is. We all are going to have issues that come up in our lives with regard to our health. And I guess you can call them threats, but I like to call them obstacles. Yes. And there's a bump of the road. Like my my coach was, he said, right, this is how life is. So it's educational, it's autobiographical, but it's hopefully that's inspirational. Yes. I want people to feel like they can do this. They don't have to be a doctor or a nurse to take charge of their health, but you got to put in the work. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been just a joy to, uh, to talk with you. With you is an honor. To be continued. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more episodes of Health Coach Talk. Are you ready to continue your own health coaching career journey? Visit functionalmedicinecoaching.org to learn more about our health coach certification program. 
Functional Medicine Coaching Academy Incorporated is providing this podcast as a public service, but it is neither medical advice nor a statement of policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation. Views and opinions expressed by our guests are their own. Discussions are not medical advice. Be sure to consult your practitioner for your health care needs.